Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back, listeners. Thanks for joining us for part two in our discussion of the Adolfo Constanzo case. What a dirtbag so far, and I have a feeling it's only going to get a whole lot worse from here. Oh, it is. On May 28, 1988, Moses Costello, a 52-year-old part-time farmer, was trying to turn a quick dollar by watching over 300 kilograms of marijuana that had been hidden at his farm which neighbored Rancho Santolina, for Hector de la Fonte, a 39-year-old small-time drug dealer. Adolfo learned of this from the ranch's foreman and decided that the deaths of these two men would meet his needs on three different levels. The first, he took the drugs and sold them again at 100% profit. Why give suppliers your money when you can give them your lead? Wow. So that was his first goal. That's a motto right there. It's actually a motto in Mexico. <laughs> among, it? Yeah, it's it actually really? a motto among drug cartels, I guess. Why give them your money when you can give, give them, them your, your lead? lead. Yeah. Ooh, that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> and with that motto, you'll see he uses it over and over again. That's like his prime way of doing drug deals. So his second reasoning, by burying the two men in an orchard at the ranch, he would then be able to use the branches of that tree for his next nagunga, and the fear felt at their death and the decay of their bodies would feed the branches' mystical powers. Ooh. So every nagunga, they have 28 sticks or 28 palos. That's where the palo comes from, right. from Paleomambe. And he was infusing this tree with fear and decay. Wow. Yeah. The third reason was to teach his followers. The way in which he entrenches others into his dark arts is so fascinating to me. Like boiling a frog in a pot, he slowly intrigues his followers with predictions about their futures and then introduces them to the practice of animal sacrifice. And as we get into the details of his rituals and victims, you can see how he then introduces them to the power of human sacrifice, little by little, has them slowly take part until they are so entrenched with the religious fever or the escalation of commitment to the cult that his followers actually perform the murders for Adolfo. So through each one of these, he does perform lots of ritual killings. I'm going to go through like some of the main ones and you'll see how he slowly introduces his followers to the ideas. Wow. So he carefully drags them to hell. That's right. This would be the first murder, which Adolfo includes several of his followers. When the two men are dragged to him, he makes a performance out of asking the two men if they are good Christians and they both answer yes. Adolfo shoots them both point blank. And then turns to his followers saying, didn't I tell you all Christians are animals? Yeah. He's like, that's all I needed to hear. Kate, you just told me you're worthless. You're worthless. Bang, bang. He then orders his followers to bury them under the trees. The followers that he had just shot these two men in front of up until now had only been working the drug scene. So they were criminals, but they weren't actually murderers. Not yet. And what they had just witnessed was a little bit of a shock to them, especially because Adolfo was so cool, calm and collected through the whole thing. When asked by a follower why he did it, Adolfo is careful to correct him in saying that we did it and made sure to let them know what they could anticipate in the future by saying, this time we only kill. Next time we will have a ritual. Ooh, yeah, because he needed these bodies under the tree. When these bodies are dug up over a year later, it's questioned why no ritual had taken place. But if he was just getting the group used to killing, then he didn't want to, you know, scare them away, right? Just... Right. Oh, totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why he did it that way. Another possible explanation is that the moon was waning at this time. It wasn't a good time to have a ritual. After giving the group some time to settle, Adolfo comes up with the perfect victim for his Nganga. He has passed over the idea of robbing a fresh grave this time, knowing that this Nganga has to be more powerful. So how do you get more powerful than a fresh grave? A live one. That's right. In June, he had just enough luck to narrowly escape a drug bust in Houston, and he was feeling pressure for more protection for a stronger spirit. And well, the further he digs into this drug cartel world, the more risks involved too. So that's why he needs this more powerful Nganga. Yeah. Only the most powerful Poleros would feed an Nganga fresh blood, but he was the chosen one and his Nganga would have a fresh body. Oh, not just the blood. Not just the blood. He was going to actually start an Nganga with a fresh body. Wow. 
On July 16, 1988, Adolfo gathers some group members and heads over to Jorge's apartment, where he has been having difficulty evicting his roommate, Raul Paez Esquivel, a transvestite and former lover of Jorge's, nicknamed La Claudia. Adolfo had never been very fond of Jorge's selection for roommate or lover. Without telling the others what they are doing, he has them wait in the apartment until La Claudia returns. When he returned home, Adolfo had the cult members bound La Claudia and place him in the bathtub so his blood could be collected. Oh. While he was still alive, Adolfo cut off his fingers, toes, <gasps> and penis. Oh, And probably in the tub, too, to contain the mess. Because he doesn't like having to clean up a bunch of stuff or making a mess. Yep, but he actually needs the blood for his oh. nangonga. The man was skinned alive. <gasps> Several of the cult members threw up and left during the torture. Melissa! When Lacadia had finally died, his shin bone and brain were removed. The blood that had collected in the bathtub was collected into jugs to be taken back to the fermenting cauldron that was waiting. So was the, like, skinning him and cutting off his fingers and penis and stuff, was that just for torture? Like, he didn't No, use he actually pieces, used, so you put fingers into the nangunga so that the spirit would have fingers to actually manipulate. so creepy so creepy what a horrible fate and you put the brain in so that it would be smart oh so everything did represent yeah everything did represent swift on your feet that kind of thing el dube would actually keep some of the the bones from the fingers and the toes in his pockets because it made him feel powerful and he would show people and be like see you want to see my fingers Uh, get a lucky penny guy. There's other things you can use. They don't have that's to be what Aldube did. Isn't that but creepy? How many is he smoking? <laughs> oh no, that's not allowed. No, that's not. No drugs. So what a weird nickname. Yeah. <laughs> As he removed the brain, Adolfo was providing a lesson for those who were still present that the torture was necessary because the screams strengthened the spirit that would live inside the Nanganga. So that's why he tortured them was because that would disorientate the spirit more and would cause the spirit to be angry and then want to take out that anger on revengeful tasks. Like right. when he performed curses and stuff like that, the spirit would be angry and revengeful. And didn't he say before too that it would make them more impressionable? Like he could control them better? Yeah. The members that had left during the ritual faced Adolfo's displeasure. They were forced to scrub clean the evidence from the apartment. The gruesome remains were dumped in a public street and later actually found by children. Just dumped it? Mm-hmm. Just dumped. Oh, he a, is feeling in all, a hefty bag. All kinds of invincible. When police investigated the murder, they questioned Jorge, but they weren't suspicious in any way. This lack of suspicion encouraged the cult members into believing Adolfo's claims of the protection and the invisibility they had to the police. The next killing would take place in a haphazard and rushed way. After a botched drug deal where he pretended to sell 75 kilograms of cocaine, but then took the drugs and the money. Oh, scoundrel. So the drug deal went wrong. The other drug dealers were ticked off, so they kidnapped one of the Hernandez brothers and his two-year-old son. Aw, leave the two-year-old out of it. Adolfo convinces his followers, particularly Ilio, that the only thing that would save his brother's life was not giving back the money, but instead that they needed a human sacrifice to appease the spirits. It is so crazy. But if you're Ilio and your brother and your little nephew are being held by drug dealers, you're desperate. Yeah. And you're willing to do anything. It reminds me of like like Aladdin. You know, like is it Jafar, the bad guy? Yeah. You know, like the more and more powerful and evil he gets, like the bigger he gets and he grows and he grows and he gets more and more evil and just consumes all this. That's how I yeah. feel like he's just And that's how we relate Disney characters to Adolfo Constanzo. <laughs> But yeah, true, that he just keeps growing and growing. And so because he's growing and growing, he needs more and more power and he's just bloodthirsty. Yeah. Just like this evil entity, I guess, Mm -hmm. is more what I'm meaning. Yeah. It just keeps growing and growing and it's not satisfying anymore because now he needs the drugs and the money. That's right. Where he probably doesn't. I mean, he's got to have buckets of money. Oh, I'm sure he does. You know, but just this greed and this evilness, it just keeps growing. Yeah. On August 12th, Ilio rushes out to find a victim and in a frenzy picks up a nameless hitchhiker and brought him back to the ranch with the promise of work. There, the hitchhiker was tortured, similar to La Claudia, and raped by Adolfo before having his head sliced open with a machete and the brain removed to feed the Nanganga. So this guy was just totally in the wrong place, wrong time. They didn't even care who he was. When that was completed, Adolfo oversaw Ilio remove the heart and place it in the Nanganga. He then urged the others to slice and add pieces of the body to the Nanganga as well. For the first ritual, cult members had only watched the brutality and now they were taking part in it 
after the death. Okay, so he's slowly grooming them. Very, very slowly grooming them. One cult member would later testify that he was surprised that after he had gotten over the initial revulsion, that he was actually surprised at how easy it was because the man didn't look like a man anymore and that he actually did feel powerful afterwards. It's all kinds of wrong. Shockingly, the next day on August 13th, without any explanation... Ovidio Hernandez and his two-year-old son were released unharmed and nothing was ever demanded for their return. The drugs they had gained during the deal were sold for $800,000, once again, all for profit. And so you can see how this would totally feed into like, oh, we did this and this happened. So it must yeah, be true. That's true. It's so scary. I had so it many is. nightmares about I this can see. case. Is this the one that you texted me about? Or when yes. I was texting you? I texted Melissa about editing on one of the cases I was doing and she's like well I'm home alone and totally freaked out because <laughs> I'm researching this case so scary <laughs> because things just seem to work out for them right like how is it so perfectly that those yeah. two were just released after a ritual was just performed for their release yeah it does make you so wonder. scary yeah in November 1988, Adolfo tested his growing power as leader of the cult when he called for a gathering at the ranch and then outed one of their own Oh, for using some of their product. Oh. Yeah. You don't break a family rule. There's only three. Nope. Better keep them. Jorge Gomez had been crazy enough to use drugs in front of La Madrina. Sarah took her role as second in command very seriously and reported the infraction to Adolfo. You don't do it in front of the godmother. Yeah. He wasn't the sharpest. (laughs) No. Adolfo struck the first blow this time, but did not permit anyone to leave the shed. Instead, he ordered them to take part in the torture. El Dube was one of the eager ones to participate. What? Chomping at the bit. Yeah, right? Let me have a piece. So this time, Aldolfo knocks him down. He's the one that can strike the first blow, but he allows everybody else, while the guy is still alive, to start cutting pieces off of him. (gasps) How terrible! When he was satisfied with the amount of screaming, he delivered a final blow with a hammer. With the ritual complete, Aldolfo stepped back and said, this is what happens to the children of Cadi and Pembe who disobey. <gasps> so all this time he's ingraining in them like you listen to me. Yeah. And what fear being instilled. And I always hate when people are bludgeoned with a hammer. I know I've said it before, it's but so, it just. Oh, it's so disturbing. I better not go that way. No. <laughs> How disturbing is it that they're not using drugs? No. They're, they're doing totally this. being manipulated. Mm-hmm. This fear, this power, yeah. this total belief. In December, two more cult members met with a similar fate when they were felt to be untrustworthy as well. Super disturbing, though, is that same December, there's Christmas pictures of the whole group getting <gasps> together and celebrating Christmas. Well, how would you celebrate Christmas? That's a Christian holiday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I never thought about that, but totally true. Like, let's do all this stuff for Satan and then... <laughs> Hey, Jesus, happy birthday. (laughs) I just found it so disturbing that here's this group of people that are selling drugs and ritualistically killing people. And then they're getting together and having family dinners and posing for pictures. But if you think of like the big drug cartels, families is the biggest thing. And so you can, you can chop off a guy's finger with a cigar cutter and then, you know, put your arm around your daughter for a picture. Yeah. So crazy though. Just one big happy family. But that's how we got their loyalty, right? Was selling that idea of family. Yeah, we're going to go for burgers. We're going to put up the Christmas tree. I'll buy you a gift. By February, it was back to work. And Adolfo was getting more efficient with the cult and drug deals. On February 14th, 1989, another small-time drug dealer would let it be known that he had 800 kilograms of high-quality marijuana to sell to them. Obviously, he hadn't heard how Adolfo was doing business with any of the other (laughs) drug cartels because he wanted to strike up a deal with them. Oh. Adolfo ordered this drug dealer to be brought in and tortured him to find out where he was storing the drugs. He then used that information, along with a couple of police uniforms, to trick the two henchmen that were guarding the stash into surrendering it. All three would be shot by Adolfo, but then dismembered by cult members. All the time, Adolfo stood over them telling them that he was pleased with them and that they would be protected because of this ritual. So giving them positive reinforcement for their actions. That's right. He, again, did very, very little and everybody else takes over and does the butchering for him. You can see how he's slowly removing himself from it because you said eventually he doesn't have to do any of it and just gets them to do it. And so he's just little piece by piece. Like when we're teaching our kids to walk, you let go longer and longer. Until they can do it all by themselves. Until they can do it by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. 
Nine days later, with all the marijuana now stored at Rancho Santolina, Aldolfo felt the need for another ritual for more protection, because now they're sitting on all these drugs that they haven't been able to move. Not because he was escalating, though, but because he needed more protection. If you look at him from a serial killer point of view, he's totally escalating. The murders are getting so much closer. Yeah, no cooling off. He ordered Ilio to bring home someone to sacrifice. So now he's letting somebody else pick. Oh, the and sacrifice. that would make them feel special. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, I get that job. I have that power. I get to choose. And that power of, I get to choose who lives or dies. Yeah. That whole God complex or, in their instance, devil complex. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Or that you then have to live with the guilt of you actually chose that person. Yeah, that's how so a then, normal person yeah. would react, but it doesn't sound like these guys. Ilio obeyed and he went out and grabbed a stranger and forced him into the car, but the stranger fought back. Because he was making such a commotion, Adolfo ordered Ilio to shoot him and the ritual couldn't take place. So that means another victim enters scene. Yeah. Adolfo was furious about oh, this. Yeah. Because they just killed somebody, but they didn't get what they needed out of it. They didn't get his screams. The well, why did they bury him under a tree mm-hmm. so he'd get more branches? Nope. This guy is just unceremoniously dumped into the corral at the ranch. Try again. Aldubi is sent out to find the next victim. And Adolfo told Elio that he would make the next sacrifice. So you messed up on this one. So now this time you're going to do the sacrifice. Okay. okay. Aldubi is going to bring you somebody. You got like, to do the dirty work. You have to prove yourself now. That's basically. right. You got to man up. Yeah. Okay. On February 25th, Aldubi returned with a person with a burlap sack over his head. Ilio had worked himself up into such a frenzy while waiting that as soon as El Dubé returned, he demanded that the person be brought to him immediately, much to Adolfo's approval. So he'd hyped himself up. Yeah. Without hesitating, with one hand, he took off the sack and almost at the same instant, he swung the machete. His <gasps> aim was off and instead of taking off the top of the skull, he actually decapitates the victim. No! It wasn't until after the final blow that Ilio realized that he recognized the face that lay before him. <gasps> It was his 14-year-old cousin, <gasps> Jose Luis Garcia Luna, a hardworking and smart little boy. This child had graduated from grade six, the only one in his family to do so. But he stopped school to take up work at a local ranch to help feed his family. So El Dubi had grabbed him from the street that night as he had walked home after his job. So El Dubi knew that this was his cousin? It's never reported that, but Adolfo w- sends El Dubi out to find a person. So who I wonder knows? if he says make it personal or something yeah. like that. Like just that power of suggestion. That would be my guess. Cause, oh, totally. Because what are the chances? Yeah. And what a punishment. Wait till you hear how he handles it, though. For? For how Adolfo handles it. Because now he's killed him, too, without the torture. He just decapitated him. Mm-hmm. Does that still count? Well... Adolfo was the only member of the cult not thrown off by this young victim. So everybody else is totally shocked. He knew. When Ilio shot the guy, he was ticked off and lost his marbles over that one. Right. In this one, he doesn't, though. Oh, yeah. He had it totally planned. He knew. It was just punishment. Totally just punishment to Ilio. Instead of yelling and demanding that the ritual continue, he gingerly guides the others to complete the ritual by telling them that the spirit of the boy will live on in the Nganga. And he even manages to get Ilio, who is like stunned, flabbergasted, like bawling his eyes out, feeling so guilty that he's just killed a family member. He even manages to get Ilio to remove the heart. All the while he's bawling and crying, he actually removes the heart from his 14-year-old cousin. Well, and this would kind of cement the fact that I'm your family. Mm -hmm. Everyone else isn't. You know, your cousin doesn't matter. He's not your family. I am. Yeah. The way that he's able to get people to do these things is so disturbing. Yeah. It's not like he's holding him at gunpoint. No. But really, does he need to? Like, they know what's going to happen if they defy him. Right. But that he changes his persona from being this crazy, like yelling at you, making you do something to actually gingerly guiding you through a, like, this is a hard thing. I can see this, it's but okay. you can do it. But he's actually telling him like, once, once you remove the heart, you're going to feel better and yeah. you'll feel like you're going to free your cousin. You're that's right. You're going to do on. this just so disturbing <laughs> and so manipulative. <laughs> it's so scary that people like this exist. Yes. Like this is real life listeners. This really happened. 
It's so crazy. So Adolfo let the cult cool off for over a week after this ritual. He knew oh. that they couldn't handle anything more. <laughs> a week. Like that's a, a long time, right? Well, it was because they were getting so frequent with all of their rituals. But it wasn't long before he was again preaching the need for more protection because they still had this marijuana to sell. Yeah. So they needed some protection. And realistically, if they weren't selling drugs, they didn't have any cash flow coming in. And his cult is getting pretty big at this point. And they're all used to lavish lifestyles. Right. And so... And he, they're working for him. So he's having to provide for them all. So he needs the money to keep coming in. But I don't think it is only his lavish lifestyle that was kind of guiding him. I think you oh, can see a driving factor of killing. Oh, yeah. Him. And greed yeah. and power. And it seemed less and less that he was concerned about the actual rituals of Paleo Mambe and more and more obsessed with the killing. Because if he's killing this often, he's no longer watching the moon phases at all. That's true. Right? Because if you're watching moon phases, you would only have one, one every month. But he's That's killing true. every week. Good point. On March 13th, 1989, El Padrino demanded another sacrifice. Obediently, eight of the followers went out searching. They brought back a stranger that had been trying to sell cocaine on their turf. No matter how much Adolfo tormented this stranger, he never screamed, even when he was skinned alive. What? Yeah, I don't know what? how that happened. What the actual heck? Yeah, never screamed. Uh and you know, like, think of a paper cut. How bad does a paper cut hurt? And he was skinned alive and never screamed. So sadistic. Mm -hmm. But how did that guy not scream? I don't know. This was unacceptable to Adolfo, who needed the screams and terror to get off. Oh, yeah, because then he's not going to be susceptible as a spirit. He's not going to no. listen to him and be able to control him. Well, and he's definitely not getting that need that Adolfo has. True. Right? That's why he kills, is to hear the screams. So it seems like these few in a row, those three in a row, all kind of fail, fail, yeah. fail. To Adolfo, the fact that the stranger hadn't screamed, this is the craziest part, it's reported that he said it was an evil omen. Oh. That the guy that they're torturing, that he didn't scream, is the evil omen. Not him. I could see how he would think that, though. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if this guy was just, I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. Yeah. He cast the victim aside and demanded that they bring him someone else. This time, he said, someone blonde and soft. Someone that would scream. Mark Kilroy would be that blonde. An all-American pre-med student was partying with friends while on spring break in Matamoros. The border town was a popular destination for students on spring break because of the cheap liquor and lenient drinking age. It was a very short walk across the bridge from Brownsville to take part in the festivities, and that's just what Mark Kilroy and his friends were doing on March 13th. And probably drinking if it's spring oh, break, so... Absolutely. He was wrestled into a truck by two of Adolfo's followers. At one point, he actually breaks free and tries to get away while his captors stop to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but unfortunately, at this same moment, two other cult members are driving by and they see him running from their fellow oh, cult, like yeah. fellow members, and they jump out of the truck and yell, freeze. <gasps> Mark, believing that they were Mexican police, stopped and, without a struggle, allows them to place him in the back of Suburban. Oh, no. Yeah. Isn't oh, that no. Crazy? How terrifying for mark so he thinks okay they're I've peeing i can away. yeah i can yeah. this is my run for it and then oh, how lucky am i because there's these police right here yeah, and now gonna they're gonna me take up. me back to my hotel i'm gonna be okay and then that moment because there's gonna be a moment where he realizes that oh these are the same guys yep when they pull off onto the dirt road to go to the ranch he recognizes that oh this is not good and even the ranch like I'm going to have to look up pictures because even that creepy. barn and that kind of stuff just sounds so like so, the big shed or barn that they're doing. This because thing. this case was so much in the media, there are a ton of pictures of the actual Nungunga, of the shed, of everything. For 12 hours, he remained in the back of the vehicle bound with duct tape awaiting Adolfo's return. A groundsman took pity on him and fed him, but was too scared to actually let him go for fear of what his bosses would do to him. Mark was tortured, sodomized, castrated, and his brain was fed to the Nganga to make it smarter. A thick metal wire was placed around his spine prior to burial, just like other victims, so that later his spine could be removed easily and made into a necklace. When he was buried in the corral, the wire was left above the ground as a marker. 
No. That's how he gets the spine. I was wondering about that. (laughs) Yeah, he actually had a process to easily remove a spine from a decaying body. And it was to wrap a wire around it and then didn't have to dig the body up again. They just ripped it out of the ground. Oh my gosh. Once the flesh was decayed enough. They would give it a set amount of time and then they just rip it up. And so some of his followers, like El Dubi, carried around fingers and toe bones in his pockets. Some of them wore a necklace of the vertebrae. Isn't that crazy? Okay, you did warn us that this was going to be a graphic one. Yeah. Hopefully everyone's still listening. I'm sorry. Have you guys hung in there? Is it too graphic? <laughs> no. I just find it me. so fascinating. <laughs> for uh, some it might be. That's pretty much the end of the graphic stuff. Mark Kilroy proved to be different from all the other victims. He wasn't a criminal that could be brushed off as succumbing to drug wars or a stranger that no one was looking for. His disappearances couldn't be summed up to saying that he had just run away because that's what they said about Ilio's cousin. When his mother went to plead to the police to look for him, they the police were like, oh, he just ran away. He's across the border. Oh, well, because he's a young kid. Yeah. Where this one is a college student on holidays, probably with friends. He's with friends. He's an American. And he was an American with an affluential family, a family that had connections. His uncle was a U.S. customs supervisor, and he pulled some strings to have some pressure put on the Mexican police to find the missing boy. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole um, campaign to find Mark Kilroy. And usually when you bring up stuff about the narco-Satanist, it's stuff about Mark Kilroy. It sounds like he is their only victim, Hmm. but it's not. There are so many others. And that's so frustrating. We talked about this before, right? Like, why do some things get covered in the media? And it's because he was a white, blonde American man. Yeah. The 14-year-old boy who was of Mexican descent, oh, he probably just ran off. It's so frustrating. Had they not chosen Mark Kilroy as a victim, Adolfo probably would have gone on to orchestrate so many more murders. Otherwise. MacArthur, too. Yeah, he finally chose a white man as his final victim. He police were paying more attention. On March 26, America's Most Wanted featured his disappearance. The people of Brownsville held bake sales and prayer services to raise awareness. His parents came to Matamoros and started a flyer campaign, refusing to give up. Disturbingly, later in her testimony, Sarah admits that she helped hand out flyers. (gasps) That's like Mary Bell. Helping them look for their brother. That's right. (laughs) That is so crazy. The investigation was extensive by Mexican standards, interviewing over 120 people about Mark's whereabouts. So because they received all this pressure from U.S. officials, the Mexican police put in a lot of effort to find this guy. Mm -hmm. Despite all this media attention, no leads could be found. And Odafo and his followers once again feel like they're invisible to the police. So nobody ever suspects them. Well, and because if you're thinking that you are doing this sacrifice to give you protection, you're probably less worried after the sacrifice than you were before Mm -hmm. about getting caught. Little Seraphine takes this feeling of invisibility very literally. On March 30th, not even two weeks after Mark Kilroy had been sacrificed, Adolfo was feeling confident enough. So even while all this immediate attention is going on, looking for this kid that they sacrificed a couple of weeks ago, he feels confident enough to have another ritual to feed the Nganga. That's a hungry Nganga. Mm-hmm. Gilberto Graza Sosa, a man that had been dating Sarah before she met Adolfo, was the chosen victim. He apparently was making advances again, and it wasn't appreciated by Adolfo. Was this her ex-husband or just ex-boyfriend? Ex-boyfriend. Okay. So it was the one that Adolfo had made. Made uh, her break up with. Yeah. Not that Adolfo actually wanted Sarah for himself anyway. He just didn't like Sarah's attention being on anybody but him. Well, I was just going to say he probably enjoyed this one. So during this sacrifice, Adolfo didn't seem to need to do much encouragement for anyone to take part. He only had to remind them that the sacrifice was needed to increase their protection. Wow. They Mm -hmm. just, his busy little worker bees knew exactly what to do. Yeah. There is evidence that Adolfo had lost some of his former confidence, though, because statements from Odubi later on reveal that he had been asked, along with Martine, to be ready to leave in a hurry. Oh. So there's some cracks starting to show. If he's even thinking about an escape plan, probably all the media attention to find Mark. Mm -hmm. On April 1st, 1989, little Seraphine, thinking he is actually invisible to the police, blows through a routine checkpoint that the Mexican officials have set up as part of a narcotics raid. This just shows how much they believe it. Yeah. He like never actually, even yeah, yeah, believe it. I'm invisible and yeah. I can just blow through and they're not going to see me. He the cloak even... of invisibility. <laughs> <laughs> so true. He didn't even bother to slow down. He's pretty oh. crazy. And actually there's uh, video recordings of his confessions and the Mexican police will get into it. But the Mexican police actually take him back to the sites. And all the time he is like super confident about telling how they murdered all these people because he still doesn't believe that even no matter what he tells them, he's not going to jail. Because he has this protection. 
He is like full heartedly uh. believes Eldafo's got his back. Whatever spells they're conjuring up, they're working for him. Sorry, honey. You got a surprise coming yeah. to you. On a hunch, instead of chasing him down with a cruiser, an unmarked police truck follows little Seraphine. He takes them straight to Rancho Santa Elena. When he left a little while later, the police got out and walked around peering into vehicles. The place looked almost abandoned, but it was noted that there were some signs of drug trafficking taking place based on some green powder that they saw in some of the vehicles. They also found some statues of the Santeria gods. And so they're like, oh, that's interesting. Because Santeria actually isn't practiced in Mexico a lot. It's more of a Cuban religion. Right. The police found that he's suspicious and started to think that it might be a good idea to do some extra investigating on the ranch. At this, but at this point, they're just thinking about drugs. Drugs, yeah. yeah. Oh, they're in for a rude awakening. They don't make any connections to the murders whatsoever. On April 4th, the police return again to the ranch, and this time, they talk to the ranch hand, Domingo. He really doesn't tell them a lot of information, but he does allude to happenings at the ranch. Hmm. He's afraid for his life, and he's seen people come and then never go. So he's not really forthcoming with the police. He talks to them, but he's not giving away any secrets. When asked what's in the sheds at the farm, Domingo says he doesn't know and he doesn't have the keys. The police shrug it off and don't bother looking any further into any of the outbuildings. But they what? leave. I know. That would be where you would hide they're the drugs. Right like if they're there. trying to see the drugs, where are you going to hide? Cocaine. Maybe in a shed? Yeah. No, but they don't. They just, they're like, ah. Oh. He doesn't have the keys. <laughs> what? And the fact that it's locked, yeah. you know, like <laughs> an abandoned place that has this yeah. one lone guy looking out for it. Right? Yeah. Oh, that was silly of them. But they do take a cell phone. They find a cell phone in one of the vehicles. So they can steal a cell phone, but yeah. not break a lock. That so they, makes sense. They did take a cell phone <laughs> because they're hoping that they'll be able to tap it and collect evidence from it to bust this drug ring that they think is going on. The dutiful ranch hand quickly informs his bosses that the police have been around and Adolfo feels that it's time for another ritual of course it is because <laughs> he needs more protection they need additional protection because the police are hanging around and because they still have the 800 kilograms of marijuana to move so this is four days before they're planning to move their drugs oh wow so he's so like pressure's on sometime on april 6th victor saul sacida an ex-policeman was taken and killed by the cult. He had been chosen because of a long-standing grudge between him and El Dube. So they usually had a reason for picking these victims. Yeah, and personal reasons, it seems. Yeah. On April 8th, despite the pressure from the police, Adolfo feels confident with his latest protection spells to move the last of the drugs out of the ranch and across the river into the United States. The police are actually tipped off about this drug deal because they've tapped the phone and they stake out the ranch for the better part of that night on April 8th. Good. Yeah. Finally. But Elio is in charge of this transaction and patiently waits them out. <laughs> so 30 minutes after he's given the all clear sign that the police have packed up, probably assuming that they received a bad tip, 800 kilograms of marijuana are moved across the river. And again, the cult's like, see, we were protected because we did this ritual. <laughs> this is so crazy. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up, you guys. <laughs> I'm picture like, as you're talking, I'm picturing it like a movie in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> like, seriously, it's so wild. On April 9th, armed with the evidence from the tapped phone, police arrest little Seraphine, Elio, David, Serena Valdez, Sergio Martinez Salinas, two other cult members, and Domingo, the ranch caretaker, for drug trafficking. So one day after they move them, they decide that we're just going to go and arrest them all. That's crazy. Yeah. We're not going to look in the lock shed. But we're just going to go on a hunch and arrest you all. Well, they knew. Well, on a tip, I guess. They had this tip that they were going to be moving drugs. And so they show up at Ilio's house and they actually find all the money that they got from the drug deal. So they bust the four of them that are at. They don't have the drugs because the drugs have been moved. They only find the money. Yeah, day late and a dollar short. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But they do take in four of the members or five if you count Domingo. Over the next two days, the five are interrogated ruthlessly, Mexican style. And this is another crazy thing. Some of them are waterboarded with soda water and hot sauce. (gasps) Ooh, that would burn. It would so bad. The carbonation in the hot sauce. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Mexican style. But you know, we don't feel sorry for them. No. Like, good. Not at all. You totally deserved it. Put another dab in there. Ilio had bullets fired just to the side of his head when he boasts of confidence that the police can't do anything to hurt him. And it ticks the police off. So they actually, they shoot bullets at his head. And he was probably sassy enough to be like, see, missed me. 
Throughout the investigation, there are numerous police statements made about how cocky and unworried the cult members were. It's particularly evident in the way that little Seraphine acts during his videotaped confessions, disturbingly nonchalant when discussing the torture and dismemberment of humans. He doesn't even try to hide and say, oh, it wasn't us. He like just lays it out. Yeah, we've been doing these things and we've been doing this and... And he doesn't even think it's wrong because there are less than animals, right? They're, they're totally worthless. That's right. And their spirits are living on. So disturbing. On April 11th, the Mexican police, along with some U.S. agents, head out in force to Rancho Santa Lina. Over the course of the investigation, over 18 bodies or pieces of bodies are found in the corrals, thrown in wells and septic tanks at the ranch. Little Seraphine was brought along and appears almost happy in the videotape showing off where the bodies are buried. Oh my goodness. The police are so enraged at his attitude that they actually make him dig up the bodies. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that just sounds like such a parental thing, right? <laughs> like you're going to do it yourself and I'm going to stand here and watch you. Yeah. So while you're watching, because you can actually watch the videotapes of him digging up at the ranch, there's points where it cuts out and police officers will say that's when they were beating him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Hey, we actually have Mexican listeners. Well, maybe they would know some of these places then. Yeah, maybe. And I wonder how much the justice system and this kind of thing has changed, right? Because when you said like it was handled Mexican style, maybe it's not handled like that anymore. This is just so brutal. This is the 80s. When he digs up the first 12 bodies that are buried neatly in a row, Mark Kilroy's remains are among them. When asked if the legs had been cut off as part of the ritual, he looks almost dumbfounded by the question and answers, no, it was just to make burying him easier. Like, you should know that. Like, that's a dumb question. Little Seraphine would later say that he was so forthcoming with evidence and confessions because he had full faith that no matter how much information the police had on him, he would be protected by El Padrino. It just shows you just how ingrained. It just Aldafra became a part it. of them. They totally believed it. You know what came to my mind when you said that about the burying with the legs? It'd be like someone asking me like, oh, did you put the cake in the oven so that it would taste better? You know what I mean? <laughs> You'd be like, no, like to cook it, yeah. you know, like, to bake uh. it. <laughs> A media frenzy took hold when the findings at the ranch were televised. Every daytime talk show had its take on the ritualistic killings. Oh, I believe it. And sorry, is Adolfo arrested or has anyone, like they haven't ratted him out, right? Or have they? Oh, they've totally ratted him out, but they haven't found him. We'll get there. Okay. The Mexican police allowed the four captive cult members to hold a press conference and answer questions. <gasps> Could you what imagine? Show? Yeah. No. <laughs> but how intriguing. Like you You'd and I would to eat that like up. A... I'd be like, I'm busy at six. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask this question. So they actually, they have a priest come in and perform an exorcism of the shed before Mexican officials will go in and collect evidence. Well, they've probably had experience with some of these different types of dark arts. And they do call in a anthropologist from Brownsville to come across from the States. And he says, I'm not even Catholic. And when I went out to examine those remains, he wore a cross. I believe it. It's just interesting that that's part of their protocol. Mm -hmm. Because in North America... You'd be laughed at if you were on the police force and said, maybe we should have an exorcism before we go in there. I'd be like, "Uh, yeah, I get behind that. (laughs) Do five exorcisms, please. (laughs) And it was all broadcast. Oh, live. I don't know if it was live, but pieces of it, you can see pieces of them. Like the priest walking around the property, like with holy water. And after that, they dump over the Nganga and burn it. (gasps) Oh! Oh, that's some bad juju right there. All over North America, the cult became known as the narco-Satanist. So that's that's where they got their name from the media. Satan followers. Yeah. While four of his cult members were telling the police everything, Adolfo had been on the run with Omar, Martin, Sarah, and El Dubi. Another follower had tipped him off that Ilio and the other four had been taken into police custody. And on April 10th, Adolfo had fled to Mexico City. But it sounded like he was prepared. He said, be ready to run. Yeah. Maybe he could tell the future maybe because it wasn't that the police That's actually true. found didn't um, find the, drugs. the bodies they yeah. didn't they didn't find the drugs it was little seraphine running a check stop that's, that's how they were found out 
So they would hide in a few different motels and apartments while trying to figure out their next move. They cut and dyed their hair and they tried to arrange for plastic surgery. Oh, wow. During the weeks in confinement, when he didn't dare go outside for fear of being recognized, Adolfo's mental state deteriorated very fast. At first, he was just reminiscing about his childhood, telling the others how he had grown up and personal details that he had never before shared with anyone because he had previously enjoyed the power of the mystery behind his upbringing. Right. But now that he's cooped up with these three other people, he's blurting it all out. He's unraveling. Later, as the news reported more and more of their findings at the ranch and more cult members were taken into custody and it was apparent that his loyal followers were providing a lot of information to the police, he became paranoid. He began to always carry a gun and sleep for only brief periods of time. On April 18th, he ranted to the followers that were with him that his reading of the cards revealed that he had been betrayed. Which I think is hilarious. <laughs> well, yeah. Turn on the news, buddy. <laughs> Was that the cards or was that CNN? <laughs> when Adolfo saw the destruction of his Nganga on April 23rd, he shot up the television, oh. yelling and cursing at the top of his lungs for over an hour, still continuing to yell when he had no voice left. I didn't even think about what his reaction would be to that. He lost it. And remember that he believes that this Nganga is the source of all of his power. Also, no wonder he's unraveling. Yeah, he has lost and look it. how much work he put into that melissa yeah. a lot of work a lot of body parts in there at 205 p.m on may 6 adolfo's paranoia got the best of him while hiding at number 19 rio senna he spotted an undercover police car across the road from the apartment building that they were hiding in he opened fire using an uzi to spray bullets into the street below the police were there on a completely unrelated call <gasps> and had no idea why people were shooting at them or who was shooting at them. So he just shot himself in the foot. He did. He gave <laughs> so himself away. Oh, yeah. it shows what paranoia does, though. Well, so much for seeing the future. Oh, <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Dolpho, get it together. Yeah, his paranoia had taken over. 45-minute gunfight ensued with Aldafo and Martine shooting at the police and Aldube reloading weapons. 45 minutes? That's a long time. And that's a lot of ammo and stuff that they were carrying with them. Yeah. They had that all with them. Sarah and Omar, both in a panicked frenzy, hid. That would be me. <laughs> under the bed. <laughs> when he was down to his last rounds of ammunition, Adolfo became eerily calm and ordered Omar to kill him and Martine, <gasps> then the others, and lastly himself. <gasps> to, to Omar? Yeah, that's what he told Omar. And that's funny because that's like his, his quote-unquote woman. woman. To encourage their participation, he told them that they could never really die and that he himself had been reincarnated three times, each time coming back stronger. Ooh, and I think that is a common belief system in different cults. Omar didn't have the guts to do it. El Dube, ever loyal to his padrino, shot Martin and Aldafo while they embraced, <gasps> emptying a full magazine. Oh! <gasps> Like, I'll do it. <laughs> well, I got you, boss. I don't know if that was his attitude. Or they had been holed up with Aldafo going crazy for how long? Maybe I would just be done with him. Be like, here, give me the gun. I'll shoot you. I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? But for whatever reason, El Dube shoots them. And to empty a full magazine... Oh, yeah. There must have been either some craziness or some rage there. Oh, yeah. He didn't shoot the others, though. He fired the last remaining magazine into the street, but not hitting anybody. He shoots it like straight into the street and then gave up. The Mexican police took the three of them into custody. Interesting. Was it rage or was he trying to set him free? Like, who knows what was going on in his mind? Like, I, we don't, he, he doesn't deserve to be incarcerated. We'll just shoot him and set him free. I'm thinking back to some of his statements that I read. He actually believes that El Padrino is coming back. Yeah. So, so maybe it was. Like, he just good thought intentions. that he was, yeah, he thought he was doing his job. Yeah. In total, 14 members were charged. Sarah La Madrina and El Dube were charged with two counts of murder in the deaths of Aldafo and Martin. They were also charged with 13 counts of murder for the deaths at Rancho Santa Elena and an array of drug trafficking, criminal association, and cover-up charges. Omar was charged with the same in addition to the murder of La Claudia with Jorge Montez and Juan Carlos. Ilio Hernandez, Little Seraphine, David Valdez, and Sergio Salinas were charged with 15 counts of murder, various narcotics oh. and weapons violations, cover-up, and burial law violations. <laughs> yeah, throw that in there yeah. as well. Because they had made a graveyard out of the ranch. Yeah. Uh, Salvador, the one that, like the cop that had helped them, 
was arrested as well, though he was only charged with drug trafficking and not murder. And this wasn't because the others didn't like rat him out. The Mexican police refused to admit the testimony against him from the other cult members. Yeah, not our guy. No, he wouldn't do that. So he did some time, but pretty minor. Almost all cult members at first confessed to their parts in the ritual killings, all except for Sarah. She claimed that she had been tricked and under duress the whole time that they had been on the run. She said that she had no idea of any of the killings that took place on the ranch. And she claimed that anything that she had done, she had been made to do by Adolfo. So she played the helpless girl card. Absolutely. And I wish we had more time. We're already like so far over time. Her story is incredible. We could do a whole episode on just her. Oh, wow. While they're in hiding. She is throwing notes out the window saying, somebody's holding me hostage. Come and get me. <gasps> and when all the gun... to make this evidence. Yeah. And when all the gunfight stops, she runs out saying, save me. Oh, thank you. You found me. <gasps> That's Carol Fugate when Charles Starkweather gets pulled over. Absolutely. Help me, help this me. is what she does. I'm the damsel in distress. Omar and El Dube soon recant their confessions and make the same claim. <gasps> They're like, hey, that was smart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, can we get in on that too? <laughs> That's right. They claimed that they had only done what Aldafo made them do because they were tortured. Crazy, right? And they were though. You know, they were totally like... Well, they were manipulated, manipulated. for sure. But does that mean that they're not guilty? No. Yeah. But it's just such a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Ilio, Little Seraphine, and two others recanted their confessions as well. They claimed that they were under Aldafo's spell <laughs> and were like, really innocent. I like how they all changed. <laughs> like, they all oh, did. wait a minute, that, you know... That's a good... That's it's a like good plea. when you order something and then the friend you're with orders something that sounds better and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I'll get that too. Right. <laughs> Can I change my order? Can I change my plea? This one sounds better. All would claim that they had made their confessions while tortured by the Mexican police and would spend the first year of their sentences <laughs> trying to disprove their confessions. And so this is super interesting. Apparently... That just saying that the cops beat you or beat a confession out of you in Mexico isn't enough. The person that says the confession was coerced must also disprove that confession. So it's generally believed that the coercive methods that police use is equivalent to peer pressure and it just makes you tell the truth faster. <laughs> yeah, put Sprite and hot sauce up my nose and I <laughs> might tell you what you want to hear. It's interesting how different judicial systems oh, are. Definitely. Like ours is completely different. And so to have a concept of yeah, that's okay there. It is so bizarre. But I'm sure there's things that take place way high up that, you know, oh, even in our system that for we would sure. be really surprised. There is probably waterboarding is. really an unusual <laughs> yeah. thing? Probably not. With soda water and hot sauce? <laughs> that's just getting creative. Kudos yeah. to them. <laughs> I mean, um, normally no, but someone like Adolfo, like... Yeah, like I said, give him the extra dab. But what's sad is that he didn't even... He didn't None have, of that happened no, to him. No, consequence for no, him. He he's going to be reincarnated yeah, for a better die in the arms of his man. All were found guilty despite their claims. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence. In August 1990, Aldube was sentenced to 30 years. Sarah received 62 years on May 3rd, 1994. Ilio, Little Seraphine, La Mariposa, and Serena Valdez, the flirt, received 67 years. A video in Legato's charges were dropped for no given reason. Oh, wow. So the cat got away. <laughs> the very next the day. Came back. <laughs> Omar was never officially sentenced. He died from complications from AIDS while awaiting his sentencing. The media attention after the sentencings revolved around the idea that some followers of Adolfo still remained at large and that his teachings lived on. Ooh, that's an eerie thought. That is so crazy. Adolfo had not just committed crimes, he had indoctrinated others to do it as well. Yeah, these were his little trained soldiers. Uh-huh. And by the time that the police were onto them, they were doing it themselves. Oh, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So how many branches of this are still going? Who knows? Well, if there were some that got away, they probably were. Because this was ingrained into them. Hopefully not. Let's hope that, yeah, Adolfo's the one-off in this. Yeah. <laughs> and none of his followers aren't still doing it. That's wild. Crazy, What crazy a wicked thought. ride that was. So that's the chilling case of Adolfo de Jesus Constanzo and the narco-Satanist. A case that truly gave me nightmares. Well, thanks for that, Melissa. Yeah. <laughs>
I can see why that totally gave you nightmares, honestly. I just found it so disturbing how he was able to convince others to take part in such sadistic murders and believe him so wholeheartedly. Like little Seraphine, he just, he really thought he was invisible to oh, the yeah. police. Yeah. yeah, he was conniving and he was calculated and that is a deadly combination. Yeah. We've all been talked into doing something, but could you actually be talked into murdering somebody so sadistically? Oh, I hope not. Oh, we yeah. all say no, right? We would all say no. Was it just that the majority of his followers already had a propensity for crime? Like they were already criminals that they were more easily talked into doing things? Or could anybody just be talked into it? If you had the wrong conditioning, could you commit murder? Maybe. Because look at how all of them, they started off being appalled and throwing up Mm -hmm. and they couldn't handle it. They had to leave the scene sometimes. Other than his little bulldog guy. (laughs) (laughs) El Dube. El Dube. Yeah. Other than El Dube, you know, the rest of them were shocked and horrified. We need to dedicate another case to this one or another day to this case because I think we could have filled up like four weeks of this case. There's so many details we've left out. Well, maybe we do that for our Patreons one day. We're making notes, you guys. When we get big enough to have Patreons, we're going to start doing extras like this. So tell your friends to help us get big enough so that we can actually do these things. Or tell us those cases that you want to hear more about. Because oftentimes we have to edit what we're actually going to put into an hour long episode. Right. Because we're assuming you don't want to listen to four hours of us telling you about (laughs) one case. So we're always cutting certain things out. We have way more details. And so some of these cases, especially like this one, we could go into so many more details and tell so many more of the side stories like La Madrina and actually what happened with Mark Kilroy. And so we definitely have those extra details. If there's cases that you hear us talk about that you want to hear more of, don't be afraid to tell us. Yeah, let us know. We'll do what we can. And thanks for joining us for another crazy case. Next week, we'll hear from Christy. And we'll get into the Halloween spirit. So be prepared. Have a good week. Bye. It's really far up. You just put it down to your chest. (laughs) It's really far up. Maybe my nipples can talk too. (laughs) So you can't say nipples on the podcast. (laughs) Okay. What I made this commitment. (laughs) We're laughing way too much already. I know. It's going to take so long to edit. This is Mexico. Yeah. We're not in. Right. (laughs) We're not in Kansas anymore, baby. (laughs) With the little bones in his pocket. Yeah. That's a bones in his <laughs> They also found some stitches. Some stitches. Some statues. I was like, oh, what's that? Stitches. Because <laughs> you've been using so many Mexican words. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you see my eyes go big. I'm doing it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. On April 9th. Do you hear buzzing or is that just my ears? I don't hear buzzing. <laughs> the chicken was then sacrificed to the Padrino's Nanganya Nanganga. The spirit inside the Nanganga. Once his nanganga, he had his nanganga, his nanganga. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> I beat you to it. Too bad. <laughs> Can that be used as a confession later? <laughs> hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. 
Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.